0: This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips. With more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more, The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only... The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including the decisive battles of world history. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com WS. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard, and this is my weekly podcast about the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard, and this week we are looking at the combined issue uh, dated April 6th and April 13th, 2015, which begins with a review by Christoph Ermscher, who is a um, professor of English at Indiana University and uh, something of a natural historian, to use the, in the old-fashioned sense of the word. But he's reviewing a volume entitled Wallace, Darwin, and the Origin of Species. Um, this is a book about the, uh, what we might call the, the intellectual origin of the uh, uh, theory of evolution. Um, a number of uh, biologists and scientists and natural historians and thinkers about science and the origins of the human race had been following various trails over time. And in the mid-19th century, two uh, a very distinguished um, uh, scientific theorists, Charles Darwin and Alfred Russell Wallace, more or less came to the same conclusions about natural selection and evolution. Um, Wallace, uh, after um, visits to uh, Borneo and um, other places, Darwin, after his famous um, uh, circumnavigation of the globe on the HMS Beagle. But in any event, uh, Darwin got into print first with uh, On the Origin of Species in 1859, and he and Wallace, who weren't really in any sort of race, uh, kind of arrived at the same destination uh, simultaneously, although in the end, of course, Darwin is rather more celebrated than Wallace, um, if for no other reason that Darwin was a rather more productive uh, writer than Alfred Russell Wallace was. But it's an interesting book, and... Um, Professor Ermscher makes it especially interesting in his fine review. That is followed by a piece by Sonny Bunch, uh, who is managing editor of the Washington Free Beacon, and I'm pleased to say a former um, assistant of mine here at the Weekly Standard. But he has reviewed an amusing uh, book, a book for our times, a book that would have been completely incomprehensible to the likes of Alfred Russell Wallace and Charles Darwin, namely... So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. Um, This is a book about a a relatively new phenomenon in our culture, which is that um, social media, among its many virtues and defects, uh, has the capacity to uh, uh, shame individuals and institutions on a wide scale, very suddenly and very quickly, and sometimes very decisively. I subtitled Sunny's review, uh, The Internet is the Mob's Best Friend. It's a kind of... Um, the, the book is a little bit about the phenomenon where the mob mentality takes root on certain issues, uh, certain things that people have said or done, and the author um, uh, tries to give some advice about what to do under those circumstances um, to... Uh, recoup one's reputation, to defend oneself, to argue, to however you decide to to deal with such matters. That is followed by a review by Gabriel Schoenfeld of a book entitled Patriotic Betrayal, the inside story of the CIA's secret campaign to enroll American students in the crusade against communism by Karen uh, Padgett. Um, This is a book that um, our reviewer is not terribly enthusiastic about but it tells an interesting story which is that in the, at, at the beginning of the Cold War uh, there was uh, considerable recognition that the United States and what we might call Western democracy was in a, um, a war with uh, Soviet communism on several fronts obviously there was the political if not military um, Cold War that we were confronted with at that time, but also um, a war of ideas, a war of words. And here is where the new CIA came in, where it subsidized um, uh, people, institutions, publications um, that uh, gave the world, especially the um, what we now call the third world, um, material to uh, decide between the great um, choices of the mid-20th century between socialism and communism and liberal democracy. Um, it was a very successful enterprise, and it involved a number of well-known names uh, in America and Britain and France and Italy and elsewhere. And it, it could be said that our effort to to wage intellectual war um, was decisive in, in many important instances. Unfortunately, in the mid-1960s, um, a now defunct and largely forgotten left-wing magazine called Ramparts um, publicly exposed this program. It was specifically they were exposing the fact that the CIA gave money to an organization called the National uh, Student Association. But anyway, the public exposure of all this, um, as often happens, um, put an end to the, to the enterprise. Um, one might argue to our long-term uh, disadvantage, but in any case, it's an interesting story. And um, even if the book is is rather tendentious about it all, um, our reviewer Gabriel Schoenfeld tells the story in very interesting fashion. That is followed by a piece by Jonathan Marks, who has written for us before. He's a professor of politics at Ursinus College in Pennsylvania, and it's a book um, I. I confess I have a slight allergy at times to books about education, but uh, it's entitled it's, it's Locus of Authority, The Evolution of Faculty Roles and the Governance of Higher Education, and it's by two former um, university presidents, um, uh, William Bowen, uh, who was the president of uh, Princeton, and um, uh, Eugene Tobin, who was the president of Hamilton College, Um, their thesis in a nutshell is that uh, faculty have acquired a power within the governance of universities that is well beyond probably what faculties deserve to enjoy and probably well beyond what is good for the university what is good for the students and what is good for higher education and they argue that um, some limitations on the uh, perquisites and the, uh, the, the power of faculties um, on campus probably would be a salutary thing for higher education. I have no doubt they're right, and Jonathan Marks lays it all out in very succinct fashion. That is followed by a piece by Tara Barnett about um, Dame Angela Lansbury, who is currently... Um, touring the United States in a production of Noel Coward's Blythe Spirit. And it's, it's, it's really very little about her performance in Blythe Spirit and more about Angela Lansbury and the phenomenon of actors and actresses, um, how they keep careers going um, decade after decade. An awful lot of people in the theater and even film and others, other uh, uh, media uh, tend to come and go uh, they age out of the business or whatever but there are um, honorable and notable exceptions and one of them is Angela Lansbury whose career in the theater uh, she's English by birth of course although it's been in the United States since the early 1940s but her her career in film began in the early 1940s and uh, Gaslight with Charles Boyer and the uh, uh, a film that actually happens to be a favorite of mine um, the picture of Dorian Gray, which was made, I think, in 1945, which is 70 years ago. Um, Angela Lansbury, of course, is probably best known to Americans for her role in her later years on the uh, murder mystery uh, program uh, on television, Murder, she wrote. But in fact, she's had a long and and varied career in the theater and in film. And Tara Burnett writes a, a very interesting and an elegant little essay uh, summing up the phenomenon of how one stays in the business uh, seven decades on. That is followed by a, a book review from our usual film reviewer, John Potoritz, of a book from the University Press of Kentucky entitled Charles Walters, the director who made uh, Hollywood Dance. Charles Walters is one of those figures in the history of film who hardly anyone has ever heard of, but you know his work instinctively. He was a Uh, uh, choreographer and uh, camera director of dance sequences in most of the well-known MGM movie musicals of the mid-century, Easter Parade, Good News, High Society, Um, and a lot of those wonderful um, numbers that get shown on uh, documentaries about... uh, Judy Garland or whomever um, usually what you're appreciating as much as the skill of a talent of Judy Garland is the skill of, of Charles Walters uh, of whom I confess I had never heard but now thanks to John's interesting piece have a much deeper appreciation for in fact I have an appreciation at all so I recommend uh, certainly John's piece um, which is entitled It Takes a Village um, the notion being that all those all those All those uh, musical numbers that you see, of course, are more than the work of um, a handful of people. They're a work of a number of people, most of whom you don't know about. Anyway, that is the Books and Arts section for the uh, double issue of April 6th and April 13th, 2015. I thank you very much, as always, for uh, listening in, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.